0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: The Maricopa County Attorney's Office is one of the most important offices in the state and I think underappreciated. Most crimes are prosecuted in this state by county attorneys, not the state attorney general. Police actions are scrutinized after the fact. Judges have to act under strict guidelines. But the county attorney has what they call prosecutorial discretion. Often they can charge a more or less serious uh, uh, crime after a certain event or even decline to prosecute. So who is in this office matters a lot. Rachel Mitchell is the current incumbent Maricone, uh, County attorney. She was not elected, but took over several months ago when her predecessor resigned. She's the Republican candidate. She's here for our first two segments. The Democrat is Julie Gonnegal, who will be here in our final two segments. Welcome, Ms. Mitchell.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike.
1: Well... Let's start with the hottest issue. Okay. It, it's abortion. I rewatched the, uh, the PBS debate last mm-hmm. night in preparation. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, a Tucson Judge ruled that an 1800 and mid-19th century law is now in effect, and that, that law provided a two-year minimum sentence, among other things, for a woman getting an abortion. Uh, Your opponent has said clearly she won't prosecute women for getting an abortion. In your K.A.T. debate, you took the position that you would look at things on a case by case basis. I understand that may not. What what is your position, and has it changed from that moment?
0: No, and what I want to be clear about, Mike, is that Arizona law does not allow the prosecution of a woman for having an abortion. The statute actually um, focuses on providers. The the one that allowed for women to be prosecuted was repealed some time ago. Um, So, obviously, I will not prosecute women for having an abortion. And as you know, my background as a a sex crimes prosecutor— I certainly also don't want to re-victimize victims of rape and incest, Mm -hmm. even though those provisions or those exceptions Mm -hmm. are not contained within that law, rape, incest, and molestation.
1: Well, let me ask you then Mm -hmm. about the potential for prosecute a provider, a doctor, usually. Mm -hmm. When I think about that possibility, I think of what's in a doctor's mind. They're in some critical case, and they're treating a woman, And they think an abortion may be medically necessary, but there's this thing in the back of my head. Is this a gray area? My God, could I be prosecuted for this? Is that... Conducive to good medicine, if that if that's in, we're dealing with human beings here, Mm -hmm. and and a threat of prosecution for something like that could be terrifying. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously, we have two what I'll call live laws right now, Mm -hmm. Um, the older one, and then the the one that was just passed this past session, and um, there are conflicts between them, but both of them contain that exception for um, the, the woman's mm. health or, or danger to her life. But and, that's,
1: a, you know, what that constitutes. I'm sure right. in your office you spend a lot of time thinking about
0: it. Well, you know, the reality is this is a legislative function to determine what the policy of the state is on in terms of abortion. And um, until it is cleared up, either through policymakers, legislatures, mm-hmm. the legislature, or the judge herself, who's now been asked to revisit the case and say, you know, how can we resolve these conflicts between the two laws? Until that happens, we don't have a clear um, action. We're not going to take any action on a case. If if one comes into my office, we don't Let me be clear. We don't have any cases submitted to my office on abortion. We would wait for judicial guidance or legislative action before taking any action on prosecuting any sort of case.
1: Now, you're talking about legal niceties. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the mind of a doctor, not Mm -hmm. what the law is or what might be litigated years down the road, but the mind of a doctor making a critical decision. Mm -hmm. That kind of ambiguity, if there is... Do you have concern that that might factor into what it should be a medical decision?
0: Well, I, again, you know, it depends on how the law is. The two laws are reconciled. But if there are ambiguities, those are certainly something that should be resolved mm-hmm. and resolved by the legislature um, in setting forth the policy of the state of Arizona. My job is an enforcement mm-hmm. role, not a policymaking role in the sense of, what should be criminalized or what should be um, the guidelines here? Um, but I certainly understand your point.
1: Yeah. Again, the mind of a doctor mm-hmm. in a situation, I could see, I could see mm-hmm. it inhibiting the best purely medical decision. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about somebody who's setting out to do an abortion because they want. I'm talking about oh my, you know, I if in the, the back of your mind I could be prosecuted. Wow, that's a. That's it,
0: a this, this is a, you know, very, as you said, hot topic. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional topic. It's an emotional topic on on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hopefully some clarity can come out um, on this issue. I
1: want to ask you to move off topic here to mm-hmm. relations with the police. Uh, mm-hmm. The county attorney, by necessity, works hand in hand with various police agencies, the mm-hmm. Phoenix police, the other, your county office, so other police offices.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there's a charge against a police officer for some kind of misconduct, Mm -hmm. how can a Maricopa County attorney, uh, officer, lawyer be impartial in making decisions about prosecuting or not prosecuting police officers who occurred, who accused of misconduct, mm-hmm. isn't there inherently a conflict of interest if your office has to work with and maintain good relations with these agencies? Mm-hmm. And 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 isn't it going to be like in the back of your mind this this if they're going to be ticked off at us if you know if we. We pursue this issue of misconduct. And the the question I'm asking is kind of as a matter of policy, shouldn't a case like that be handled by some agency or entity that doesn't have an ongoing working relationship with law enforcement agencies?
0: Well, you know, as somebody who's prosecuted over the past 30 years, um, I've prosecuted myself, police officers. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, if I know the police officer, I mean, there are thousands of police officers that we deal with i don't know them all um i would certainly conflict off of that personally and not handle that but i have prosecuted police officers i have sent police officers to prison and um you know my experience has been that police officers do not want bad apples in their midst and they want people held accountable just like i would not want a bad apple prosecutor in my midst, and I would want that person to be held accountable. So as long as I don't have that, uh, any sort of personal connection with that mm-hmm. person, I see no problem in prosecuting them, um, as I have.
1: But I'm referring to, I think you're dealing with, clear, you know somebody personally, that's that's a clear cut right. case. So I'm talking about just the institutional relationships between organizations mm-hmm. and I find it somewhat troubling that 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 seems to me to be inherent conflict that you know if if you, if you 're seen as being too aggressive in prosecute, whether or not it 's true it 's mm-hmm. perception if you 're seen by police agencies that way, the fear that this is going to injure my our ongoing relations and therefore our effectiveness, do you have a concern about that it, it, even in terms of the perception
0: no my job is to mm-hmm. to seek justice in the mm-hmm. case and um i don't have the concerns that the the relationships would be damaged um you know we are looking at a case that involves um a probable cause finding that's what got it submitted to our office in the first pay, mm-hmm. place by police um and then of course we're also applying the uh reasonable likelihood of conviction standard mm-hmm. and so my job is to seek justice in that and um regardless of whether a relationship Uh, may be affected. And frankly, that has not been my experience, that the relationship is affected. Um, As I've said, I've I've supervised people who prosecute police officers. I've done it myself. And the relationships go on. We are not the same entity. Uh, We work together in the sense of they do the investigation and we do the prosecution. But it is certainly not a situation where we cannot hold each other accountable.
1: We'll return in just a moment with County Attorney Rachel Mitchell when we return in the think tank.
0: The Think Tank, KTAR News on 923FM and ktar.com.
1: We're back with County Attorney Rachel Michu, can, a candidate for that same office. As I indicated at the beginning of the show, her opponent, Julie Gonigle, will be on with us later in the show. Question for you, we, the United States has a higher incarceration rate than almost any country in the world. There's a couple of others that are slightly higher. We wouldn't want to live in any of those places. And within Arizona, I understand we are the fifth highest incarceration among American states. Do we incarcerate too many people or do we incarcerate them for too long?
0: I think it's really hard to look at that type of thing just in a a vacuum as far as percentages. I think we need to look at individual cases. I know that it's been a focus of my um, the months that I've been in office to increase the availability and the offering of diversion programs so that we can divert people outside of the criminal justice system. Uh, For example, people who have drug addictions. Uh, But My opponent, on the other hand, wants to just reduce it by a certain percentage. And we need to know who is in that percentage Mm -hmm. because we've seen that kind of thing happen in other states, Los Angeles, or cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago. And and it's been disastrous for the citizenry uh, by letting very dangerous people out. So it's not some. I'm. I think it should be analyzed, but to set these arbitrary percentages and goals is uh, very dangerous, and I would be against that. But at the same time, I do want to increase the diversion opportunities for people that don't need to go to prison. Describe. If-
1: for us, then, if you would, what's mm-hmm. what's a kind of what's a profile of somebody who you think ought to be eligible for diversion? And what's the kind of person where you would say and, mm-hmm. and, and, and particularly at the margins, you know, the, 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 the there's cases that are, sure. at either extreme, there's there's pretty clear cut cases. But tell sure. me what the, the at the margin case kind of looks like.
0: Well, you know, we have people who are uh, drug addicted and committing. Um, nonviolent, low-level property crimes that are drug-motivated. And so those are some situations where we need to look at that Mm -hmm. and say, you know, is this somebody that we can divert out of the criminal justice system and treat so that they can go back into society? And and
1: these diversion programs have a hammer over them, don't they? You divert somebody into this program, we'll defer prosecution. You have to follow through on the program or else the The threat of prosecution remains.
0: It's always good to have an incentive and the criminal justice system, I think, takes a position in the background there to say, we will hold you accountable. We are giving you the second chance to get treatment and get off of drugs, uh, fentanyl obviously being the big one right now. Um, but then on the other side, the margin would be somebody who maybe doesn't have a uh, extensive criminal history. But by the time we get them, they have committed a series of criminal acts. And one of the first scenarios that comes to mind is the increase that we're seeing in organized retail theft, where they're hitting store after store mm. or business after business. And by the time we catch them, they they may not have a criminal history, but they have racked up a significant um, criminal behavior, and they've done a lot of damage. And so those are some situations where I think people would consider that more marginal than like a career felon. And,
1: and those seem to me like the thing that distinguishes them, mm-hmm. they seem to be based on people calculating, hey, I'm not getting caught, I can do this, I won't get caught. It seems to me that's the kind of person that either needs uh, uh, a punishment or the threat of serious punishment. Mm-hmm. because they're making a calculation, whereas somebody that's uh, under the influence of drugs is not making rational, calculated decisions.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that's certainly something that we look at. And I mean, all the, on the other hand, you can have people who continuously use drugs have had opportunities to get off of them and then commit an extremely violent, serious offense and Obviously, You're still
1: responsible for what you they're do. They're
0: still responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. it, that's why you have to have an experienced prosecutor uh, running the office, because as a 30-year prosecutor, I've seen the entire continuum of criminal behavior, and I can place it in its right place. Somebody who has little to no experience, they don't have that sort mm-hmm. of, you know, mosaic in front of them as mm-hmm. far as where does this fit, and what are the things that I need to take into account. hmm to keep the community safe.
1: You are a, a Republican running for county attorney. I look back and that office has been held by a Republican for the last 42 years. Is there any concern that the public should have about that length of tenure of, of a, such a sensitive position? By, uh persons who all come from the same party?
0: You know, in looking at the office, I mean, I'm, I'm really not a politician. I've never run before. I'm a career prosecutor, and I really see it as nonpartisan. Uh, my job is to represent the entire community and make sure the entire community is safe. So I don't really see this as a Republican versus Democrat race. What I see this is as a uh, prosecutor versus a social activist race. Um, My intention is to, yes, support the police, enforce the law, hold people accountable, um, ask for bail, etc. And my opponent, on the other hand, wants to just institute the radical social policies that we've seen fail time and time again in other cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco. You know, if you look at San Francisco, where Chesa Budin was just recalled, they replaced him with a woman who led the recall effort who is actually a democrat and from what i've heard of her philosophies fairly liberal democrat but the difference is she's a prosecutor and that's what they needed to hold people accountable so it's really not about the party it's about whether this person wants to keep the community safe or just be a social activist in the role
1: on a final question mm-hmm. ask you about the uh political prosecution cases, these were the cases where the police charged gang membership in, in cases where I think the, the, the courts and people who took a it said this was, this was outrageous, this wasn't a gang, this was people, you know, they, they were criteria, they all had black umbrellas or something that mm-hmm. made them a, a, a gang. And, but the, not just the police action, but there seemed to be active co- collusion there between the police and elements within the county attorney office. How do you see that and how would you prevent that from recurring?
0: You know, I see it as unacceptable Um, when that happened uh, and I took over the uh, prosecutor that was largely responsible for that overcharging of cases is what I would how I would characterize it. Um, I terminated her employment um, because that's just not acceptable to me. When we file charges, we need to under we need to have the evidence to back it up. And it needs to be fair and it needs to be just. And overcharging is not acceptable. Um, using tools like gang affiliation, when it's not appropriate, not acceptable.
1: Okay. That is Rachel Mitchell, uh, current Maricopa County attorney candidate for the same office Her opponent will be with us after the break when we return in the Think Tank. Thank you for joining
0: us. Thank you. Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: Okay, we've heard from Rachel Mitchell, current incumbent uh, Maricopa County attorney. Her challenger is Julie Gunnagel, who ran last time and lost by hair about a percentage and a half, as I recall. You probably know the exact number of votes. I don't. Uh, Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Uh, I watched rewatched the PBS debate last night uh, just to to get a sense of discussions you've already had. You've said that the Maricopa County Attorney's office is corrupt. Would you elaborate?
2: Absolutely, we have seen absolutely unprecedented corruption coming out of that office, and whether it's speaking about the 180 cases that were forgotten about. The criminal charging of protesters in political prosecutions to silence dissenters and critics of the office, whether it be Andy Thomas, who is eventually disbarred for his choice to use political prosecutions, or even the late breaking scandal from yesterday that we have sex crimes prosecutors sleeping with their witnesses and detectives. There's an issue in this office, and it needs to be addressed rather than swept under the rug.
1: And you think it's... uh a continuation? You mentioned somebody who was a couple of county attorneys back. Is Rachel Mitchell responsible for that?
2: Well, Rachel Mitchell certainly has been in leadership in that office over the 30 years where we've seen this level of corruption. And I believe that real leadership means that when you see something wrong, you say something. And she hasn't said anything until it was politically expedient. But I will tell you that she's continued this sort of legacy And at the the PBS debate in particular, I think we talk a little bit about Glenn Robertson's case, which was a political prosecution, someone who was criminalized for speech. He ended up being acquitted in what one judge said was the weakest prosecution that had ever been brought. But the crux of that prosecution was that he was someone who was pulled over, said that black lives matter and that he couldn't breathe. And as a direct result, he was held on a criminal gang affiliation charge, something that shouldn't have been brought to begin with. So whether whether it be that she is merely a passive bystander or she's allowing this sort of corruption, I think, is irrelevant when we the taxpayers are going to have to pay for the lawsuits that have happened as a result.
1: Let me ask you, uh, you you've you raised an issue that I think is a context of, of, of a broader issue, and that is the county attorney's office, by its nature, uh, works on a daily basis with the Phoenix police and other police agencies within the county. And uh, when Um, there is a charge against a police officer. It puts the county attorney in a very difficult position in that there's there's a sense that if you go hard on the police, you will endanger the ongoing working relationships with police agencies. I'd ask you to respond to the thought that structurally, Maybe that says that cases of alleged uh, police misconduct should be routinely handled by some agency that doesn't work with that agency on a daily basis.
2: I mean, I I think that's exactly right. And I don't think it's an issue of of going hard. It's an issue of equal justice under the law Mm -hmm. and that, you know, this sort of conflict of interest perpetuates a two tiered system of justice where those who have power and influence and access get a different standard than everyone else. So that is why part of my platform is to have an independent unit for police use of force cases to help avoid the inherent conflict of interest that prosecutors face when they rely on officers day in and day out to prove up their cases as witnesses, and then are asked to hold those same officers accountable if there's an unauthorized use of force.
1: Independent unit, but that would be within the county attorney's office.
2: That's right, because without a statutory fix, that is the... I
1: understand Mm -hmm. you can't legally create another entity outside. I'm asking if you think, though, that would be a good idea.
2: Oh, I think that would be a brilliant idea, and that's the... um, in those jurisdictions that have most effectively um, dealt with this issue and started mm-hmm. to rebuild public trust when it comes to the handling of those cases, that's what they've done is is a truly independent office.
1: To clarify, uh, to move to the other real big issue that is, you know, just resounding in the, our politics right now. In the case of abortion, you have said you will not prosecute women who obtain abortions, notwithstanding the 1850-something law that courts have said is now in effect. That's correct?
2: That's correct. And in fact, my commitment goes beyond that because it's that we won't oh, be pursuing doctors either. That
1: was my follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me, you have talked about redefining public safety. I wonder if you could elaborate on what that means.
2: Sure. So the role of your county attorney is is twofold. First, the role of your county attorney is that she can only bring those cases that are in the interests of justice. And that's a holistic determination of whether or not it's worth the taxpayer dollars to pursue, whether it will produce just results and whether there's a public safety um, outcome that is good. And that's why we reach those results in the abortion cases. But when we're speaking more generally, it's the second commitment that each and every day your county attorney should go to the office and promote public. Public safety, And you can't do that if you're upholding a system that, that prioritizes convictions over doing justice. What that means in a, in a very real sense is we're going to start pursuing the root causes of some of the harm in our community. And the biggest root causes that we can go after are addiction and mental health. Right now, we know that 78% of everyone who's incarcerated has a substance use issue, but only 2% of our beds are devoted to substance use treatment. It's easier to get drugs inside of an Arizona prison than it is outside. And when we look at the the root cause of so many of the crimes that are charged from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, we find that it's addiction and mental health treatment that are really like the, the cause. And it's so much cheaper to provide that at the outset to folks rather than waiting for a large term of incarceration that ta- costs the taxpayers tens of thousands of dollars a year. Um, and we end up with better community safety and less recidivism.
1: How can a... Maricopa County Attorney affect that uh, other than to be an advocate for the system dealing with things different. I mean, you're not in the uh, if you were County Attorney, you're not in the mental health provision business. How how do you how do you affect that as County Attorney?
2: Well, first, I, I'd, I'd push back on that because okay. de facto, the County Attorney, the Sheriff, and the Department of Corrections are in the mental health business right now because. For better or worse, our jails and prisons are the first responders when it comes to mental health issues right now and are de facto our mental health hospitals. But how does a county attorney effectively counter that and get to the root cause? Well, they create deflection programs that work, that when somebody um, has an encounter with police, that they are directed directly into treatment when it is appropriate. It's the creation of... uh, of could I, could I
1: stop you there? Because mm-hmm. the, the, I I, I stopped on the word appropriate. You know, I think in a lot of people's minds, they they're trying to think of what kind of cases are you talking about, and and are we talking nonviolent cases only? Are we talking? I mean, what where where's the line in in prosecutorial discretion for the kinds of cases? Is does doesn't the type of offense also play and what types of offenses what kind of can you can you spell out what kind of things you would you would see handled outside of a prosecution
2: Sure. Um, And, you know, in those jurisdictions that have done this most effectively, they've focused on low level offenses, typically offenses that are commensurate with uh, people experiencing homelessness, drug use, addiction and mental health issues. So what that actually looks like in practice is if somebody encounters, for example, somebody charging their phone at the park, what our criminal legal system response has been in the past is to charge that person with theft of government services and lock them in jail for a period of time. What would be a more appropriate and much more cost-effective response is directing those folks directly to resources for housing and for the ability to, for example, charge their phone or treatment when it's a a drug use issue. We have a world-class deflection program operating right now out of the Pima County Sheriff's Office, but there are models countrywide of what it would look like to be more just with our tax dollars and direct people out of the system. That's also what diversion programs do, and that's also what our specialty court system should be doing if we had the kinds of uh, resources in place, rather than using incarceration as a one-size-fits-all when we know that it's not working.
1: And it's ex- it's the most expensive option.
2: And it fails yeah. 50% of the time. Let me
1: ask you about a mental image. It's not just a mental image. We've all seen these on YouTubes and television clips. In, in San Francisco, you got Gangs, not not gangs. I mean, groups of people coming into like stores, doing smash and grab things in in premeditated. uh, You know, where groups of people come in en masse, smash and grab, and there's so many people in the store, and 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 the claim has been made that that result that resulted from a public policy by. By prosecutor and/or police that said, "Well, we're not going to devote resources to prosecuting thefts of under $100 dollars or something like that." Or they set some dollar limit and said, "We're not going to prosecute that. Somebody who has that image in their mind, uh, how do you convince them that you're not going to create that situation? There. <laughs>
2: Well, first of all, um, you know, all the listenership can visit my website at gunagle 2022com and see what the plans are. We have the People's Plan for Real Justice, which is an evidence-based plan that reduces our rate of incarceration down to the middle of the country that does it safely, responsibly, and invests in people and saves the taxpayers a ton of money while keeping people safe.
1: And while it is true, it is also true that the United States incarcerates more people than almost every country in the world. There's two or three others, and you wouldn't want to live there. Uh, and within the country, it is also true that Arizona is very much on the high end on incarceration rates. So you're not talking about taking us to some some place where, where where, frankly— It doesn't exist in already in other states.
2: I mean, I think you're right about that. Um, So Arizona has the fifth largest incarceration rate in the country and the eighth largest in the world. If we were a country, we could be the eighth largest incarcerator alone.
1: That's per capita.
2: That's per capita. And it's a one point five billion dollar industry that's let's be real, does benefit a select few in Arizona who are involved in politics. But
1: running private money from private prisons
2: private prisons, private healthcare, private commissary, private telecom, and our private labor industry that we're just the subject of a massive expose. But to return to San Francisco for a second, because I And we've seen I assume you've seen the videos. Oh, they the videos. Shocking. they're shocking. Well you know, frankly, I hadn't seen the videos before this race because my my policies and platforms are are Arizona based and are are designed mm-hmm. in the best evidence that we have. It was only when I started getting attacked for some of these things that I mm-hmm. started looking at them and I was like, well that's a not part of my plan at all mm-hmm. but b it was also a uh, because the california voters decided to defelonize theft over under a thousand dollars that they they reached that sort of result so i just i think any sort of claims that um that somehow that would be the end result of having someone who just wants arizona to be in the median of the yeah. country for once is totally unfounded
1: i mean i look at those and i'm uh you know, the drug addiction and mental health issues are, are mitigated. That if you don't deal with that, you don't fix the problem. What got me about these is these were premeditated acts that were coordinated. and And people were making a kind of calculated decision. I can go into the store and I can grab this stuff and I can get away with it. And that, it seems to me is not a candidate for some kind of diversion that, that, that you deal with that by, with punishment and the threat of punishment.
2: You know, I I'd, I'd agree with you mm-hmm. on that um quite frankly because when folks and I've I've actually been cited to the Supreme Court for my work on people who operate as organized crime syndicates in this mm-hmm. in this particular way. Um, But what I would direct people to is I know my opponent is talking an awful lot about about retail theft. Like we should be talking about the other crimes that matter so much to our community, crimes that target women, children, our seniors. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter remains that we are still by every available metric doing a terrible job at the debates. You know, we referenced what's happening in the city of Phoenix right now where our sexual assault clearance rate is lower than nine percent. Which means of the brave people that report in fewer than 9% of those cases, is there ever an arrest?
1: How that compare nationally?
2: It is one of the lowest in the mm. nation. And meanwhile, we're, we're touting and lifting up somebody who hasn't even had for five full years didn't prosecute a single sexual assault case originating from ASU. Mm. There are big gaps in our in our system, but we need to be focusing on those crimes that matter most to the community. And those are the ones that don't keep us safe.
1: We'll return and continue uh, the rest of our discussion with candidate Julie Gunigal in just a moment.
0: The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: We're back with Julie Gunigal, Democratic uh, candidate for Maricopa County attorney Democrat Maricopa County attorney I can't remember I've been here 43 years has there been a democrat in may have been before you were born if <laughs> 42
2: years ago was the last democrat in this office
1: so that would have been 1970 ni- 1980
2: so maybe I did I, do you who was that Oh gosh um man I'm bad at yeah. this pop quiz question <laughs> I,
1: it was this was not uh, this was not planned I just I just was I knew it either hadn't had or Almost. So it was, it was right when, in my mind, right when I got here, but very briefly. Um, I got here in the fall of 79. It must have been 1980 election or something like that. Uh, uh, you, it's uh, Your opponent has said you've advocated defunding the police.
2: For those who know me and have been following along on my social media, you know that I have a reputation of being a firebrand. I say what I mean and I mean what I say and I have literally never said those words. Um, And as an attorney, I very much know how to find my words. I think it is incredibly deceptive of my opponent to say that she's pointing to my my advocacy on behalf of a proposition that would have put twenty five million dollars into mental health first responders. Mm -hmm. It was money coming from a forward looking additional appropriation, Mm -hmm. a bonus Um, And she's characterizing that as somehow having something to do with with police funding. And first of all, I think that's a incredibly unfair. But I think it also shows, you know, how a how desperate her campaign is and has become in light of the polling and how unpopular her positions are. But it also shows a lack of understanding about what real community safety looks like. You know, two weeks ago, we saw a man get shot by Phoenix PD who was in the throes of a mental health issue and was throwing gravel At police officers and I still can't help but to think that if we had a fully funded and independent (laughs) mental health first responders unit Mm -hmm. that we would end up with a safer county a safer city of Phoenix Mm -hmm. and we'd have more appropriate responses that actually diffuse these issues and create less harm
1: okay now uh, we in the beginning hit on the uh, abortion issue, more or less, you know, get people to stake out a position. But what often you don't get time to do is to go into the why. Uh, You know, you've said, uh, I'm not going to prosecute doctors. I'm not going to prosecute women. Tell me what's the basis of your position on that.
2: Sure. I mean, the basis is a fewfold. But most importantly, when we talk about what the interests of justice are, that we are not going to be pursuing unjust convictions that waste taxpayer money that are unduly um, private, personal. I think for a second what the investigation into an abortion case would look like. Where is your crime scene? And if the answer is that it's a person's body and that the investigative technique is a pelvic exam at the hands of police, that at its outset should be a non-starter when it when we talk about justice. But we don't have to we don't have to guess at what any of these prosecutions look like, and that's one of the reasons why I have been so loud in trying to push the county attorney to tell us how she's planning on enforcing this law because the 1864 law. That, by the way, was part of a package of laws that set the age of consent at 10 years old and allowed husbands to sexually assault their wives without accountability. Like, that's the package that we're that we were talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, Also doesn't provide any immunity for the patient. And what that ends up looking like in in real practice is cases like Christine Taylor out of Iowa. Now, she was a mom who was heavily pregnant with her third child. She showed up to the emergency room having fallen down the stairs and during the uh, while she's being checked out, she disclosed that she was in a rocky relationship, didn't know how she was going to parent this par- this child, never mind the two at home. She was turned in to police and held for two days on attempted feticide charges while they determined whether or not she accidentally fell down the stairs or whether or not she was trying to induce her own abortion. So when we talk about these kinds of cases and personal liberty and what it means to keep the government out of our private lives and only being pursuing those cases that actually are creating harm in the community... That is what is really at stake. And I would be remiss if I didn't I I didn't add the additional point where there's a lack of clarity. I mean, doctors right now are asking how close their patients have to be to death before they can perform a life saving abortion. But other people are asking questions, too. Like our county attorney said that she didn't think that she was enjoined from enforcing that 1864 law because it happened down in Pima County. Well, guess what? The other statute that's enjoined is a prohibition on even advertising contraceptives. And she won't answer that question either, whether or not she believes that law is enforceable.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, you did a different topic. You've d- described the Kearney attorney office is corrupt. How if you get elected, how do you enter an office that you've described as co- uh, corrupt? How do you how do you deal with the folks that are there? How do you how do you how do you jump in to a situation like that?
2: Sure. And just and just to be clear for for the listeners, you know, in an office this large and this is the third largest prosecutorial agency in the country, um, our issue is not our line attorneys who go to work every single day Mm -hmm. and prosecute um, and do and do what they're told and what they're instructed by Mm -hmm. from leadership. What we've seen is a pervasive failure in leadership over the last decades in this office. And that's what we can clean up. You know, the saying is, what is it, the fish rots from the head down. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in new leadership, and I'm I'm not just talking about a new county attorney, I'm talking about a new leadership team that is more focused on doing justice than merely obtaining convictions. And when we start with this, you know, these sorts of common sense, evidence-based reforms, we are going to see a sea change. And I, I do think that people who are supporting the status quo or who are getting rich off, you know, our current system will push back. But for everybody else, they're going to recognize that, first, we're going to see immediate gains in public safety in our community, and we're going to stop seeing this office continually in the news as a source of national embarrassment.
1: If there's we've got a a little about a minute or so left, if there's one thing you want people to remember about your candidacy, what is it?
2: I want people to know that it is not a choice on their ballot this year to have to choose between these evidence based reforms and public safety. You can have both. And my entire platform is designed around reforms that will keep us safe and save us money. And they can read more about me. And what I plan to do with this office at gunnigle2022.com. I
1: want to spell that out just in case.
2: <laughs> sure, it's G-U-N-N-I-G-L-E, and then the year 2022. Okay.
1: Down ballot measure, but one that warrants your full attention. Uh, there's often some drop off we want, we focus on on presidents and senators and governors. But as I said at the beginning of the show, this is a critically important office and who is in it matters. The the office and the debate warrants your full attention. I'm Mike O'Neill. You can reach me at Mike O'Neill dot org. Uh, Twitter, Michael J. O'Neill. And uh, that's O-N-E-I-L. And we will see you next week in the think tank with another ballot issue that's on the on the ballot.